America's founders assumed that citizens' votes would be based on candidates' positions on issues. Is that what's going to happen this time, or is it just celebrity and entertainment and who people like? Yikes! I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive, maybe? He's not breathing. Can you get a pulse? Barely. Call a code. Get Nambia back from the nurse's station. Heart's still working, means synapses are still firing. We just need to get a message through. Political candidates at every election consistently insist that this is the most important election in years. Well, we've heard it again and again and again, but it's no exaggeration this year, in 2022, that democracy itself along, of course, with women's freedom to control their own bodies, is on the ballot coming up real quick. But as with every election, kitchen table, pocketbook issues tend to be what really decides how American citizens will vote. America itself was assaulted on January 6th, 2021, led by the disgraced former president, Will that matter now? Does that have any influence on this upcoming election? Many of his devoted followers may gain new power, amazingly enough. Polls are tight everywhere and tightening. How accurate are the polls? Have they ever been really accurate? I don't know. As uh, the uh, famous philosopher Alfred E. Newman asked so famously, what, me worry? Well, Yes, many of us are indeed worried about the survival of democracy and our very republic. With us today to provide his perspective on all this is one of the brightest political observers I know, a long-term radio friend, John Kaczynski, who's a talk show host, the common sense voice on conservative talk outlets such as WBT Charlotte and W. TMJ Milwaukee, and WKFB Sacramento. John, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, you've been such it, a good friend for so many years. It's great to be back, Senator. You know, I was going through the archives, and I pulled some sound of yeah. when you and I were covering the 2012 campaign, Uh-oh. the day of the New Hampshire primary in Manchester, New Hampshire, and the more things change, the more they stay the same. Oh let me play, let me, and, and yes. now, remember, Mitt Romney was coming out of Iowa and a victory, and, you know, it, the handicapping around the Sheridan in uh, Manchester was, right. hey, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be Romney and Obama, and tell me if this, from ten and a half years ago, sounds as fresh as yesterday. He will run a campaign of diversions and distractions and distortions. That kind of campaign may have worked at another place and in a different time, but not here and not now. It's still about the economy, and we're not stupid. Yeah, and it still is about the economy, right? And we're running campaigns of diversion and distraction. And it comes down, as you said, to what is happening in our kitchens. All of the issues that affect us as Americans, if it's the issue of life and abortion, if it's how do we pay the bills, uh, that's where democracy starts at our kitchen tables. Absolutely, it does. And and it's not by the highly paid consultants that, that the parties hot, you know, spend a lot of money on. I don't know what the heck they are doing. I mean, it was so obvious. Okay, after, 
you know the the Dobbs decision, which which overturned Roe versus Wade. Democrats, I think, were reasonably smart to come out with that in early September. But my goodness, it doesn't take a genius to have been able to have seen that the the appeal of that, the power of that was going to fade as we get closer to November. I mean, it's true, it, it, it matters more to women, but uh, how they could not be ready to pivot and talk about the economy just amazes me. I mean, I am a Democrat, big surprise, uh, but the DNC, what the heck are they doing? What are they doing? It's... It, 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 it amazes me how they could not be ready to pivot on that. Did, did that surprise you as much as it surprised me? Uh, yeah, a bit, because the DNC has been, uh, Democrats have generally been tone deaf when it comes yeah. to just understanding what is happening on Main Street. And to underscore the point that you just made, uh, EWTN, the Catholic Television Network, and uh -huh. Real Clear Politics uh, did a survey last week and, of course, as Catholic broadcasters, naturally they stand for life from the moment of conception until natural death. And Roe versus Wade, while it was a victory, certainly at the Supreme Court, now obviously it shifts to state houses, ending it right back to our kitchens and talking about it right there. But here's, here are the results last week. Uh, most important issues to Catholic Christian voters going into the midterms, the economy, 63.6%. Abortion, 7.4%. This is Catholic Christians. And we, there's no question that, I mean, Democrats, at least in my 70-some years, uh, have always, always touted ourselves as being the party of working people. And who makes up a large, large portion of our working class base, as you said, it's Catholics, and how we can, you right. know, just uh, I, 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 how could we not figure? That? I mean, it's always been there. The numbers have been there consistently, obviously, and you know, it, 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 it you can't just turn your back on that large portion. I mean, I'm Jewish. There's a lot more Catholics in this country than Jews. That's for sure, and and how we could just uh, forget the working class. It it amazes me how I I read a really good book by by Michael Kazin recently, uh, looking at the past hundred and twenty years or so, uh, how we won, how Democrats have won, and it's always, always the times that we have won, have been connecting with with movements, with labor movements in particular, with working people, and. It just, the things that motivate working people, don't you think that ought to be what we're talking about? Republicans uh, have been at least going for that and seeing that as, uh, you know, open to them and, and entirely flexible that, that the working people, uh, it used to be it used to be that the Democrats were the reliable advocates for working people, but I, I've been in areas, specifically in mid-Pennsylvania, where I could sense, yeah, it was Trump country. Why was it Trump country? I tried to figure it out. Not because they're uh, a basket of deplorables, as some idiot said so long ago. I mean, just incredible. No, because 
they work hard, they play by the rules, and they don't get ahead. And the Democrats have been pictured as the party of elitists, which used to be the the Republicans. It just it, it, the the effectiveness of that is just you know, for my sake, being you know rather biased, it's very depressing that we let that go. I mean, the economy. Somehow people, I mean, it's hurting people. You talk about kitchen table issues. The economy is, is hurting people. Prices are going up a lot. Obviously, the price of gasoline is high. But why, and I think, t- tell me what you think, John, but my sense is that people have largely blamed the Democrats, Joe Biden, for, the, for inflation. Uh, the reality is that while inflation has gone up tremendously, profits have gone up even more. Corporate profits have gone up even more. But you know as well as I that the DNC, they don't want to touch the big corporate contributors. And so they that's the only reason I can think of why they haven't touched the economies, because they want the money from the people who are profiting so much. But the reality is... They could legitimately blame the big corporate entities for uh, the the uh, bad economy. Your thoughts on that, John? You're right, and I just want to do another before-after in just going through the vault of audio that uh, I have. Oh, I'm so and glad you do. That's great. This goes back, again, this goes back to the 2012 campaign in Manchester, the day of the New Hampshire primary, and here's one from the back of the rack. Remember... Former Governor Buddy Romer of Louisiana was among those who had thrown his hat into the ring. Now, that's from ten and a half years ago. I'm going to play you something from the Fox News Channel last night. But speaking to your point, here's Governor Buddy Romer speaking to you and me ten and a half years ago. I think we're a nation in decline. I love America. I've been out of politics 20 years. But I decided to step into it because I didn't hear another man or woman running for president, making the issue special interest money. That is the issue. Here's what I believe we need to do. I think we need fair trade, not unfair trade with China. I'd start with a trade imbalance. We need immigration, complete reform. We need tax reform. It's written by the lobbyists, not by the people. We need budget reform. We need banking reform. We need health care reform. We need energy reform. How are we going to get those things? We're not. No president's going to do it. Obama gave, was the greatest potential president talking about change. What did he do? Nothing. Because he doesn't run Washington. Special interests do. Okay. I'm telling you, your government is bought. There you go. There you go. And wow. that's 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 ten and a half years ago. Now, wow. Where where you need to go, and uh, as 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 someone who spends a lot of time in the conservative talk radio realm, I find myself there. Again, speaking to your point about how voters in Pennsylvania and in other places outside of New York and Los Angeles and these major population centers in Washington, D.C., which the 24-7 news cycle focuses on so much, they just want to be heard. They want to be heard, and they want to have a conversation. They don't want to be called names. They just want to have a conversation. And in having that conversation, 
and in asking them, and it's sometimes politely, again, with clarity and charity, uh, pushing them, pushing back a little bit on, on their points, they go, oh, okay, but you have to go where they are and have a conversation. Last night, Fox News Channel did a town hall. Congressman Tim Ryan from Ohio's mm -hmm. 13th District, the Democrat running against J.D. Vance, okay? Mm -hmm. Here's the conversation. Listen to this and listen to how Tim Ryan, a Democrat, wins over the Fox News crowd. Tax that President Biden mentioned, a tax on oil companies' profits. Are you for that? Um, I haven't looked at exactly what he wants to do. I think the fact that oil companies are making huge profits and having stock buybacks right now, while average person here is paying nearly $4 a gallon, I think that's wrong. And I think we need to crack down. We need to crack down on it. We're going to move on from prison. And a lot of people fall into that nonviolent category, uh, including drug traffickers, including drug possession, including people who distribute child pornography. So all those people should be let out? Well, what I'm talking about here is marijuana crimes. I think we need to legalize marijuana. I think... Well, you said all nonviolent criminals out, for sure. I'm sorry? You, you, you said, said all, all nonviolent criminals well, out, Well, I, I sure. think the focus is marijuana crimes, in my mind, right? We spend... This, is, this may be the stupidest expenditure of federal, <laughs> federal money in, in public taxpayer money in the history of our country. You get caught with marijuana, then you end up in prison. And, and that is insane for us. We should take, we should tax the marijuana yes. and we should put it into addiction treatment. We should use it to keep fentanyl and these hardcore drugs out of our country, out of our society. We should invest in the shock class. We should invest into early childhood education. There's so many better ways to spend this money than locking somebody up for marijuana crimes. And especially when, when white and black people use marijuana equally, Black people are six times more likely to go to prison. Oh like, that's an unfair system. I'm sorry, it just doesn't make any sense to me. That's a Democrat going on Fox News Channel and winning over the audience by just simply having a common-sense conversation. with it. It's not us and them. We're all together as Americans. We're trying to move in the same direction. We all want the best for our families. Yes. So instead of pointing fingers and calling names, engage in a conversation and come up with some solutions. And I think that's generally something that's lacking with Democrats. Uh, I tend to agree, I, I must say. I, have, I mean, we'll have to talk about these specific races. But for those who just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. And I'm very pleased to have, right before the election, my old friend, brilliant, talk show host, one of the sharpest political observers I've ever known, John Kozinski. And uh, you're right, talking to people, listening to people, respecting people. You know and I know how often we've seen Democrats look down on people, you know, the Trumpers, the people they disagree with. Uh, the, the worst case, obviously, was when... Uh, our unnamed uh, 2016 nominee uh, looked down at him saying, calling the basket of deplorables. And there are people still these days, much, much more than I would think makes any sense at all, Democrats, you know, calling Trumpers bad things, you know, stupid, whatever. It's 
They want to be listened to. They want to be respected. I mean, they, frankly, they don't get no respect. And what the heck are they going to do? They're going to go with the people who don't respect them, the people who look down their noses at them for, for not going with the right issues. It's just, it's appalling to me. And, and how you need to have a backbone. You need to listen to people. You need to respect people. Is that too much to ask? I don't know. Maybe it is. Well, let's, we got to talk about, I mean, there's a lot to talk about as, as these elections are coming up so soon. Ohio, it's, it's a bellwether state. It used to be pretty democratic, but when in 2016 it went for Trump, that was it. And it's, it's gone pretty much red ever since then. Now, there's a couple of strong candidates in Ohio, J.D. Vance and uh, Mr. Ryan, as, as you just quoted. Uh, the only Democrat, statewide Democrat that I know of in Ohio, and again, I'm not that well-versed on it, is uh, uh, Sherrod Brown, who I think is a terrific candidate. He respects people. He's a working class. He connects with working people really well. He respects uh, everyone. What what do you see in Ohio? I, I see the polls are uh, pretty darn close, but I don't know how accurate the polls are. So there's a couple of questions there. The accuracy of polls, considering all the changes in our communication methods, you know, landlines, what? Who uses landlines? Uh, so what about Ohio? Talk about that, if you would, please, John. Uh, Ohio, that'll probably go red, and you're, right about the, and, and you're right about the accuracy of polls, because we're all taught, if you can't say something nice about someone, don't say anything at all. And I think that's what automatically just uh, colors a lot of polls, is the basic human nature of how we were all raised. Mm. And, of course, the 24-7 news cycle does color that to a certain degree. I'm not saying that we don't have our own opinions, that we wouldn't share that with a pollster if they do call. But that's, pro yeah, it's probably too close to call, but even 538 and a couple of the other more reliable people who look at and measure these things are moving it a little more to the Republican side for J.D. Vance yeah. um, than for Tim Ryan. And, uh, you know, but that's, that's, that's a spirited battle right there, but we need more of those Tim Ryans you know, out there with with the energy, and I think uh, you know you've seen you've seen uh, President Obama out on the campaign trail in a lot of key states yes. over the last several days, and you know I think that's a double edged sword because when huh. you see when you see the energy um, and the clarity of the message of Barack Obama, it really contrasts the fact that. I'm sorry to say this, but Joe Biden is past his freshness date. You see a you see kind of a teetering old man and one who is, whose performance uh, before the cameras is inconsistent. One day he'll have energy, and other days you have to strain to hear what he says. And that's you know perception is reality, and yeah. uh, you just you can't get past that. And then when you put when you put Barack Obama out there and he's energizing a crowd and you remember where we were and you yes. see what's there, I, I don't know whether or not uh, that's going to help or hinder. Yeah, I think if, if people could believe, like, electing uh, uh, Ryan and other Democrats could bring us back to the stability of the Obama era, 
Yeah, that would be a, a good thing, but right. Uh, but we're not talking about that. And now right. we're in, and 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 the rules the rules have certainly changed with uh, Donald Trump. I mean, you and I remember, and I remember uh, we were talking on the radio in New Hampshire, scratching our heads on that cloudy, rainy day where out of the clouds came the Trump jet landing at the old Pease Air Force Base. And what's he going to say? And he goes before the microphones. No one really quite understood what he was going to say. He used that opportunity to just kind of criticize uh, folks who were in office, and then he left. And it was like, whoa, whoa, what was that? But from that moment on, uh, you know, that certainly changed the rules where every time he did something, we went and followed it. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that changed the rules of how politics are covered. So as we saw in the 2020, in the 2016 campaign, it was a lot of free publicity that the 24-7 news cycle gave Donald Trump, certainly Hillary Clinton too, but more so Donald Trump because he was saying outrageous things that you know helped propel him, especially in a lot of these uh, battleground states. Uh, he was saying a lot of things that people were thinking. Yeah. Um, he was uh, not terribly liked, nor was Hillary terribly liked when you looked at the polls, but his advantage was as a showman. showman. He was on television. People knew that. Yeah. And so they, they gave him the edge there. And so that, I think, forever changed politics, where that showman-like quality of any candidate, depending, doesn't make any difference if you're a Republican, a Democrat, or an Independent, is really going to factor into whether or not somebody likes you. And at the end of the day, it still is about likability. There's yes. a gubernatorial race here in Connecticut with two millionaires, Ned Lamont, the Democrat, the incumbent, who is funding his campaign 100%. And, uh, wow. and yeah, and, uh, and Mr. Stefanowski, who is also another millionaire who is funding his campaign 100%, who, again, in this campaign, and I'm surprised that nobody tells these folks these things, uh, nobody knows what he stands for. No. Except, except um, I don't like Ned Lamont. They had a debate last night, and nobody knows what he stands for. Um, and it was, and his message is, uh, Elect me, and then I'll tell you. <laughs> and uh, part of the problem is the press, because when yes. he ran against Ned Lamont in the last election, um, his platform, which kind of trickled out, was the same one that Sam Brownback had in Kansas. Mm. And, of course, Sam Brownback uh, bankrupt Kansas and was run out of Kansas on a rail. <laughs> um, you know, he bankrupted that. He bankrupted the teacher's pension fund. He bankrupted everything. And that was Ned's, uh, That was uh, Bob Stefanowski's platform in twenty uh, in, in in the last the last uh, gubernatorial race in twenty eighteen, and, and here it is again. But at the end of the day, he's not likable. So they have rushed to the they have rushed to the air uh, pieces uh, with uh, campaign spots with his uh, daughters and his wife that make him likable and smile. And uh, the man does have a million-dollar smile, and I bet there's mm. something in there. But, you know, I think a lot of these candidates are also insulated by people who are their handlers, who are equally insulated, and are not in touch with the folks. And when you look at Mr. Fetterman in Pennsylvania, yes. there's a guy in a hoodie who's he's, he's me, and he's talking to me at my level. And that's what it's all about, is to just get out there and shake hands and kiss babies. I mean, you know, I remember 
Congressman Charlie Bass, when we were talking oh, yes. to him. My old friend. When, yeah, your old friend from the, New York, from the New Hampshire State Senate back in 2012. And he was saying, you know, Mitt Romney has been in the 2nd Congressional District in New Hampshire more than when I was out with George Bush. We went there once in that campaign, and Mitt Romney's been there four times. And this was the day of the New Hampshire primary, and we were talking about, again, just, you know, going out and engaging people one-on-one. It, the bottom line is, even in this electronic age, it's retail politics. Uh, you know, Ron Johnson has figured that out in Wisconsin. Okay. And, uh, you know, he's the guy, and I blame the Democrats again because this could have been a big issue. He's the guy who has called, check this out, you can fact check this, he called Social Security a Ponzi scheme. And he's the one who wants to end, and he's got some support among his Republican colleagues, wants to end Social Security and Medicare and perhaps turn that into a voucher system. Oh, my God. So, uh, so what does Ron Johnson do in the last, since the beginning of the year, since the beginning of the year, here we are at the beginning of November, week to midterms. Right. Since the beginning of the year, Ron Johnson has done 325 radio interviews. Where does he go? On conservative media. So he's speaking exactly to the people who will go out and pull the lever. 186 of those have been in Wisconsin. Now, as a host, if Ron Johnson's people call and say, hey, he wants to be on your show in Wausau tomorrow, wow, that's platinum, of course. So you're going to give him the platform and let him basically say whatever he wants to say because he has come to make you look good, and he's speaking certainly to people who are on that same wavelength. So that's a little bit of how it works behind the curtain and how <laughs> politicians can manipulate those who host shows and how it becomes the symbiotic relationship. Uh, For example, now, in these, in these interviews, one of the things that he has continued, he's never talked about Social Security, obviously, because uh, you know, nobody yeah. wants to challenge them on that, but he has said repeatedly that the FBI tried to rig the election for Hillary Clinton. He said that mm-hmm. the FBI has corrupted the 2020 election and that the FBI is corrupting the 2020 midterm. So those conspiracy theories are out there and just promulgated and re- repeated again and again in the echo chamber. So you can see how these folks get a foothold. Absolutely. And and so many things you, you brought up. The, the, the press, the complicit press, and then, you know, it's the media now that, what are they about? I, they... They they want to please their advertisers. They're about right. making money. What a right. surprise. They're about making money. Donald Trump grabbed the attention back in 2016. He, the, the, the advertisers knew that when Donald Trump was on, there were a lot of eyes on the screen when they had their ads up. That's what counts to them. It, it does, I don't think it matters what the press is. It's as you say, showmanship. And you reminded me of something about likability. When I was running for re-election, I don't remember which year, I was at a factory gate and, you know, just greeting people as they came out. And a woman stopped for a few seconds and said, yeah, I like your smile. I'll vote for you. It's like, I'll take your vote, but my goodness, it shouldn't be something other than that. And right now here in New Hampshire, for governor, we have uh, young John Sununu, who is governor, and Tom Sherman, uh, my, currently my state senator. Tom Sherman's a great candidate. He's talking about issues really well, very articulate. 
And, you know, Sherman's going to get beat. It's going to, it's not going to be pretty. It's, it's, he's like, Sununu's like 20 points ahead. Why? People don't know where he stands on the issues. He's not good on the issues, but he's likable. He's likable. And that really concerns me. I don't think America's founders had that in mind when they set up the Constitution and the electoral system, you know, to, to be somebody who looks good on TV, who makes the advertisers happy, who is likable. And I don't know how the heck we get around that and start talking about issues again. What about the role of the press in all this? And, you know, with the 24-7, the, the fire hose of, of stuff that just comes at people all the time, what about the role of the press in, you know, in, in having the discussion not be about where the candidates stand on issues? They have to step up. Are they going to step up? No. Are there right. a few people who do that? Yes, because you're right, Bert. It is all about circulation. And at the end of the day, a lot of these men and women who host especially national television shows, be it over the air or cable television, they they want to be liked, too. They yep. want to get the invitations to the parties. <laughs> um, and that's what it's all about. I'm going to be a T-E-E-V-E-E -E 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 star. I'm going to be a TV star. <laughs> That's what it is. So, you know, it's it's egos playing to egos. They feed off each other, almost create their own weather. And uh, the result is democracy isn't moved forward. Right. Once in a while, you get somebody like a Margaret Brennan who hosts the uh, Sunday morning show Face the Nation on CBS, where she does her homework and she asks questions. I don't know if you saw this last Sunday morning, Congressman Tom Emmer, a Republican from Minnesota, who's the chair of the Republican National Committee. This is just hours, hours after Paul Pelosi is attacked with a hammer in his home in San Francisco. He tweets out something that really kind of celebrates violence. And here, again, being, being a reporter, being a reporter, she presses the congressman on this. This was the exchange on Face the Nation last Sunday morning. I want to ask you about this when it comes to political violence. On your Twitter feed, you posted this video we're going to show just a few days ago where you're firing a gun and it says, enjoyed exercising my Second Amendment rights, hashtag fire Pelosi. Why is there a gun in a political ad at all? I wasn't mm. that. I, was, I, was tweet. I was tweeting out. Hashtag something fire Pelosi with a weapon. Well, now. Wouldn't a pink slip be more fitting if it's about firing her? It's interesting, Margaret. It's interesting, Margaret, that we're talking about this this morning when a couple of years back, when a Bernie Sanders supporter shot Steve Scalise. Which was horrendous. When a Bernie and horrific, Sanders supporter shot Steve Scalise. Not I never heard you weapons. or anyone else in the media trying to blame Democrats for what happened. We need to stay we focused on what we're all doing. We did extensive coverage of what happened to Steve Scalise. There was extensive Nobody tried to equate Democrats' rhetoric. People I'm not saying, talking about your rhetoric. I'm talking about what you posted. You're shooting a gun. Our viewers just saw it. Yeah, right. Hashtag fire Pelosi. Exercising our Second Amendment rights. Having That's not a debate about the Second again. Amendment. Yeah. That's not a debate about the Second Amendment. Hashtag yes, fire Pelosi. Yes, it is. No. I, I'm, Do you I'm not understand that that is suggestive to people who are in a bad state and in this current environment, how risky it is. Wow. As you're talking well, I, about I the importance of lowering the rhetoric. I disagree. Why do you leave that up? Again, 
I never saw anyone after Steve Scalise was shot by a I'm Bernie Sanders right supporter now trying to equate, happening equate Democrat now. rhetoric oh with those actions. Please don't do that. Ah. But, no, okay, looking at your candidates, Republican candidates have spent more than 116 million on ads that mention Speaker Pelosi by name in this cycle. If this is about the issues. Why don't you make it about the issues? Why not depersonalize it? It is absolutely about the issues. Ah. It's about the fact that we have double-digit inflation. You don't exploding, think... Exploding cost of living. We've got a crime wave across this country. That In is the this moment, result. we are eight the days result. out. Don't you think this needs to change? Why not Again. pull some of these ads? Why not just delete your well, tweets? I'm sure, I'm sure people like to talk about anything but what the Democrats have done in this country. But I would suggest more pink slips fewer weapons in our ads in this environment. Sir, thank you for joining us. And that was last oh. Sunday morning on Face the Nation. That's that's what you have to do as a reporter, and you have to push back. It's, gotta, it's, and you don't hear that. You do not hear that in the 24-7 news cycle to any great degree. No, because they want to be TV stars. You're right. That was very, very impressive. There are a few really good, outstanding reporters and and I must say you know now that you mention it a lot of them seem to be women with real as my people say chutzpah you know where so many don't do that and the guns the guns why you know here they the republicans are talking about crime hinted inner city crime you know wink and nod you know it's kind of racist it really is talking right. about crime but they're who is flooding the streets with guns? Who's getting all the money from the NRA? Where are these AR-15 style weapons coming from? I don't hear Democrats talking about that. It's so obvious. And we're losing so many people. It's just, it, it, this, this thing about guns, I, uh, you know, worshiping guns. Uh, and I, I had a professor many, many, many years ago who said, who defined politics as the economy of violence. I never considered how right he really was. I mean, you know, police have the legitimacy of, of violence, but to give, to enable guns and, and shooting people as a legitimate form of political discourse, it's just shocking. For, right. the, for those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, the show is Keeping Democracy Alive, and boy, it is hanging by a thread. I don't know how much people care about that, but we'll talk about that. Our, our guest today is uh, an old friend, John Kaczynski, uh, talk show host, uh, common sense voice on conservative radio outlets who really understands politics and has a, a good uh, collection of sound, I must say. Uh, and and the, the press, uh, what about this? Voter intimidation, you know, it's probably going to come up uh, on Election Day and the attack on Pelosi. Will there be any electoral effects from that at all? I, I really have no idea. What are your thoughts on that, John? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know if it's going to have that, that kind of effect on the vote. Uh, you know, even though we continue to hear new details in this attack on House Speaker Pelosi's husband, Paul Pelosi, over mm -hmm. the weekend, mm -hmm. and uh, the alleged assailant told police his words that he was on, quote, a suicide mission. He had a list of other prominent targets. And that's David DePape, who allegedly woke Paul, Paul Pelosi up and was standing over his bedside and prevented him from escaping, all while demanding to know where the House Speaker was. Now, to connect the dots to that... 
Um, and I know the GOP played down the fact that, well, no, this is just some, you know, lone right. person of who course. was out there. Um, this was on January 6th. Listen to this chant. Remember this? Where are you, Nancy? We're looking for you, Nancy! Oh, Nancy! Nancy! Where are you, Nancy? It was on January 6th. Absolutely amazing. This this attack on Paul Pelosi strikes me as January 6th, part two. It's continuing, and who yeah. knows what will happen in the future. Uh, it's it's just uh, appalling, but I don't know if it's going to have any effect. I mean, the whole January 6th committee w- was just, uh, you know, the Republicans would like to bury that uh, mm-hmm. if, if, if they, they win the House and the Senate, which they may. Uh, and uh, I, the, the culture war is, of course, a big deal. We've mentioned that right. a little bit. And I get from the New York Times today, President Obama, Barack Obama, who's traveling the country to campaign in some of the tightest races for Senate and governor, urged Democrats not to be a, quote, buzzkill by making people feel as if they were walking on eggshells when it came to issues like race and gender. Interesting point, I think. I, I don't know. I think the culture war is playing very much uh, to the uh, advantage of the uh, culturally conservative Republicans. Your thoughts? Absolutely. No, absolutely. And uh, and as it should. And, you know, how did we get here? It's yeah. incredible how uh, the Democrats have uh, painted, you know, painted themselves into a corner with mm-hmm. this culture war. And I think what the Republicans did at the same time was like, OK, if you're going to do that, we're going to trot out the craziest group of people you have ever seen in your life and turn this into a real reality show. And here we are. I mean, just last week, there was yet another list that came out. Bill Maher did a very funny piece on this, but it was absolutely true um, on Friday night where, you know, he was talking about all of the costumes that were now politically incorrect to wear for some reason. And you had to go deep down in some of these things to find out why it would be offensive to be Elvis. What? For Halloween. It would be offensive to be, and the list goes on. Huh? And it was like, you know, and, and the, the lower third graphic, and his writers are just magnificent with plays on words, they called it Cancelvania <laughs> for Halloween, because it was cancel, cancel culture for Halloween, and the kids just can't be anything oh anymore. Oh and it's like, it's kids. We're just out there to have fun and get a sugar buzz. We're not out there to make a political statement. Come on already. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, th- but that's 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 what's happening. Is you know, okay, if the Democrats are going to go, you know, over way over that way, as Republicans, well, we'll go way over this way. Uh, perhaps how we can tie this in. This is a man that I had the opportunity to speak to, and had um, just it was a tremendous delight to speak to because we were talking about the television business. This is forty-five years ago. I first met him. Mm-hmm. Guy by the name of Roger Ailes. Uh-huh. Maybe you heard of him. Yeah. Um, you know, Roger working as an associate producer, an associate producer, you know, halfway down the ladder on the Mike Douglas show. Remember that afternoon talk show, the old Mike Douglas show? Sure. Richard, Richard Nixon gets booked onto the Mike Douglas show. And Roger is a brilliant, brilliant, was a brilliant, brilliant television mind. He just understood the medium. And that's what made the Mike Douglas show successful, among others who worked on that program. 
And he saw Richard Nixon come out speaking to our point, Bert, of likability. And he saw this guy who, you know, probably was carrying a briefcase when he was four. And it's like, <laughs> wait a minute. You know, and, you know, and when, you know, and, and, and if you do, if you go down the YouTube black hole and look at some stuff with Richard Nixon, especially his interviews in the early 60s, after he said you won't have Richard Nixon right. to kick around anymore, when he's on with Jack Parr, you just say, who is this man? It's this charismatic funny, naturally warm human being that you would want to have dinner with. Uh-huh. And, it's, and, and Roger Ailes saw that and knew that and kind of brought him aside after the show and said, hey, you know, this is 1967. You want to be the president in 1968? You've got to learn how to use this medium. You've got to uh-huh. learn how to look into that piece of glass. And that's how they became a team. Now, So that's part one of the story. Part two of the story, Mm -hmm. they're out there on the campaign trail, and Roger saw that when he would deliver kind of ready-made information to reporters, mostly male, this is still 1967, television was certainly not as mature as it was today, when he brought them kind of, you know, freeze-dried content, just add camera or microphone, they ate it up. (laughs) So he thought, okay, let's deliver to them this freeze-dried content with our spin on it. The more he gave them, the more they put it on the air Uh because it was less work for them. Yes. (laughs) And that's what started the snowball down the hill. And all you have to do is look at Fox News Channel right now. And uh, the ratings just came in, and they're just so far ahead. By the way, it's always funny when they say mainstream media, because, by the way, they are the mainstream media, reaching millions and millions of people every single day, in some cases more than the evening newscasts on the -the over-the-air TV networks. But again, if you just repeat something again and again and again and again, as you do in politics, regardless of the party, it suddenly becomes the truth. As Ron Johnson in his 325 radio interviews since September has said, you know, it was the Democrats that planned January 6th. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you just you say that over and over and over again. And just as a quick aside on conspiracy theories, because, you know, that is something that is another one of the undercurrents of this campaign yes, probably going forward. Uh, but this is, and this just got published Two days ago, from the Yale Medical School, you ready for of all places? What is Yale Medical doing in politics? I'm sitting down. What, okay, <laughs> Con- conspiracy theories connected to COVID-19. We certainly heard of those. Here's a research paper, Dr. F. Perry Wilson from Yale Medical School. It's a really fascinating paper out in PLOS One that looked at people over time during the COVID pandemic and found that conspiracy theories around COVID, things like the idea that it was a bioweapon um, released, you know, deliberately to affect people, or beliefs that it's a hoax and COVID doesn't exist, served as gateways to other even larger conspiracy theory beliefs, like um, you know the, the 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 belief that the 2020 election was stolen, um, and a variety of other things. So it's a really interesting look into how once people start you know distrusting authorities and expertise, it can kind of spiral into um, this whole other world of conspiracism, and it's a potential warning as we move forward to realize that it's not going to end with COVID. There you go. Wow. How about that? Yeah, pe- people like that kind of thing. It's entertaining. And, you know, entertainment is uh, 
taken the place of, of actual news. And you reminded me of something even longer ago when, I don't know if it was 56 or, or 52, when Adlai Stevenson was running for president, Governor Stevenson, a woman, the story is a woman comes up to him and says, oh, Governor Stevenson, you're, you're terrific. All thinking Americans will vote for you. And he said, well, thank you, ma'am. That's great, but I need a majority. And it hasn't gotten better. It's gotten tremendous. It's so much more simple now. And uh, the appeal of these silly stories, it's, it's entertainment. And right. I, I wonder about, you talk about image. And one of the big races that would, you know, is, is coming right up is, is Pennsylvania, the Senate. There are, uh, there's, there's John Fetterman and Oz. Fetterman, of course, had his stroke. But as he says, you know, I'll be better in January, but Oz will still be nuts in in in, uh, in you know in January. But what about what about uh, what's Oz could win? Oz could actually win. He could, and it is again speaking to polished television performers. And uh, by the way, just as an aside, politics aside, on Doctor Oz from people that I know who worked on his show. Yeah. Um. He he was he was not an employer. He was a dad. I mean, he, ah. took interest, he took interest in the lives of his staff, Was would just move heaven and earth to help them if they needed help. So wow. deep deep down, he, he's that kind of guy. Uh-huh. He's that kind of guy. And, and that should be said. Also, uh, one aside, as long as we're on that point of he's that kind of guy, uh, while it never got widely reported, it was widely known in New York newsrooms that when someone got burned out of their home and someone who is in a low income or a middle income situation the first person to make sure that they had housing in one of their in one of his townhouses was Donald Trump no kidding was Donald Trump he would be there never got reported they just knew it happened uh, and that became that just kind of became the standard. And he did not want publicity about it. Uh-huh. And it's it, I know it, it's the it's the opposite of the Donald Trump that we know. But that's that w- that was the <laughs> that was the Donald Trump, um, you know, who was always there to um, to, to help those. So uh, in the Fetterman Fetterman Doctor Ross, uh, you know, Fetterman's right. got I think about a four and a half point five point lead today based on the latest mm-hmm. polls that we have seen. And uh, I think if, and no one's asked my opinion, but uh, I would probably have spots on the air of uh, Senator Ted Cruz and people who know better, who are making fun of him because he had a stroke. Right. Um, Now, you know, my mom had a minor stroke, and I saw in Mr. Fetterman some of those things that uh-huh. I saw in my mom, and it comes and it goes. You have bad days, you have good days. There are days if you go and do some research on Fetterman interviews, the October 2022, you will see one where he is completely lucid, and those are the days that you have as someone who is is recovering from from a minor stroke. And you know, it's really interesting. Is uh, you know. Many, many in the GOP are saying, well, he can't possibly serve in the Senate because you have to put sentences together and you have to think and you have to do this. Um, he's not qualified, yet Herschel Walker is. Herschel Walker. Uh, you know, I know 
Georgia is a big football state, but the, the man is a liar. He is dishonest, and he may also win. That just, I, I, I am amazed at that. Uh, you know, it's not just that he, uh, uh, you know, paid for abortions, and but he lied about them. I, I, how can... I, Laura Ingram and other hosts have uh, said, and other politicians have said, and uh, there are any number of tweets that's up on, on their Twitter pages, um, have said, uh, look, we don't care what he's done. We just want power. We just want, uh, we just, right. we just want power. And, 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 that's, and, and I get that. Uh, you know, and, and deep down, regardless of the party, you want to stay in power, uh, and especially at the federal level, where you're going to get um, you know some nice benefits and uh, some things that will last you a lifetime, courtesy of you and me who pay taxes. Um, you know, sure, you want to do that, and uh, you know those same things that appeal to you and me and our egos uh, appeal to uh, those who run for office as well. Uh, you know, the questions that I would love to see in a debate is, you know, define define the common good. Yes. You know, we bring we bring out uh, we bring out the Christian element of candidates very often, and we talk about that, especially in a lot of swing states. Well, explain what the common good is. Uh, you know, explain how you're going wow. to help. And, you know, t you know, talk about that. And, and that gets us back, I think, perhaps to a little more of the issues and the nitty-gritty to see, indeed, who this person is to, you know, look into their hearts and their souls as well, because that's what we're electing. And, and to me, I think that may go back to uh, the tremendous influence of Ronald Reagan. Are you right. better off today? Are you better off today? Not the common good. And, boy, that... People for I think the presidency of Ronald Reagan uh, was extremely powerful in shaping uh, the mm -hmm. future of, of America. Now, what your thoughts on on the seeds that Reagan planted? Yeah, it's, the very, it's the very foundation of the dialogue that we have going on right now because it was uh, and Ronald Reagan surrounded him surrounded himself with some you know pretty sharp people yes. and uh, you know who could uh, read the tea leaves very very well and understood certainly as Ronald Reagan did how to use a camera and a microphone to effectively communicate and it was in it was 40 years ago uh, 40 maybe 41 years ago where we first heard the term welfare queen yes and we first started demonizing those who were taking advantage of welfare and taking advantage of social security. Now, this is just me connecting the dots, but I think they're, I, tell me if this is valid or not. When you hear a Ron Johnson or a Rick Scott in Florida talking about repealing social security mm -hmm. and Medicare mm -hmm. and making it a voucher system, they're saying the same thing. They're not saying uh, people of color Right. But that's what they're talking about. Yes. So some things have never changed. There is a very good friend of mine who is the uh, who is in senior management at one of the major Spanish television networks here in the United States that has tremendous influence, obviously, both Spanish radio and television in terms of swaying voters in elections and uh, with ratings that are through the roof. In major metropolitan areas, New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, uh, beating Anglo stations two to one, uh, he has walked into advertising agencies to get the buy, to 
get the advertising by to reach this mass audience, only to be told in 2022, well, we really don't want those people. Those people. In our store. And they've said that. So when a candidate is quick to dismiss racism in the United States, it's very much alive. Oh, and, yeah. you know, you know, and, and perhaps if it was just bubbling under the surface, you know, certainly in the last four years, that Band-Aid's been ripped off. Yeah. And now it's 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 almost something that, you know, can be worn as a badge of honor, depending on where you are on the spectrum. I sure never would have expected that. But but there it is. I mean, that whole that whole. You know, the, the the fear of an invasion by immigrants, boy, we've heard that a lot over the past hundred years or so about right. various different those other people invading us. And and it's it's quite real. I don't know how we, we get back to that and, and what the Democrats why they're just so afraid of of addressing these things and talking about the common good. Uh, maybe there's just no appeal of the common good. Maybe people would say, oh, who cares about the common good? It's about, I can't afford my gasoline for my car and screw the yeah, common we, good. Right. And we, and we do vote when we go to the, to the gas pump as someone who's now um, <laughs> on a fixed income, on Social Security. It's like, hey, wait a minute. Um, you know, the, uh, hello. Um, you know, can, can, can somebody just kind of wake up and, and spend time here or you know, having taken care of my mom until she mm -hmm. passed away, mm -hmm. I would always say, uh, you know, I want any politician, I don't care what side of the aisle you're from, uh, spend a week with me in and out of a hospital, and I'll show you what uh, health care mm -hmm. is here in the United States. Um, you know, whether you're for the Affordable Care Act or anything in between, or maybe you have a better idea, let me show you. Um, just, you know, live 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 a, a day in my shoes. Um, on conservative talk radio stations, when these issues of immigration would come up, um, you know, folks would, you know, say, you know, oh, this invasion, they're coming over the border. And, and I would ask politely and just engaging in conversation, I would say, you know, well, and I'll use this name, well, Tom, um, how many immigrants came to the House in the last week and tried to get in? Well, no, none. Um, you know, how, how many we're going after your job. Well, none. Mm -hmm. And you know, then, you, then you start to have conversations. And I'm saying, when was the last time, remember the last time that you were without power for a long time? You said, oh, yeah, we were just freezing to death here in the house. And I said, oh, well, then you were an immigrant because you didn't have power. Um, you know, and I said, now you know what they feel like. And I said, just, you know, just, you know, you know, put yourself for a moment in any unpleasant situation that you have been in, magnify it beyond your wildest imagination, because can you imagine walking with your kids? Oh my God, really? Uh, that if, uh, a good friend of mine is the Bishop of El Paso, Texas, the Catholic Bishop of El Paso, Texas, Bishop uh -huh. Mark, yeah, Bishop Mark Seitz, and he said, you know what I'd like you to do, and I have to take him up on this, he says, I want you to come down to El Paso. He said, because I live with immigration every day, and he said, we'll go across the border, and we'll walk back with people crossing the border. We'll walk back. And he said, watch what happens. What happens is that um, the, um, the, the immigration officials really don't want to deal with this. So who gets the first call? It's Catholic Charities of El Paso. And he said, so this eventually becomes something that I have to address. 
in figuring out who they are, where they've come from. By the way, most who are coming now are from Central America. Yes. It, is not, it is not from Mexico. More right. are going back to Mexico than are coming here into the United States. And uh, he said, then you can actually see, and he said, we've got to try to figure out where relatives are. Uh, we have to figure out how to you know, start them on a legal path here to make sure everything is okay. So it, that's, that's the reality. And I, and I know from, um, from folks in Tucson, that's the same thing that happens in Nogales. So that's the real state of immigration. It's not, it's not this demonization right. of people who are coming across, um, you know, like the Grim Reaper to come in, you know, and, and take your family and your house. These are real human beings, um, mm. you know, who are fleeing oppression. We get that. Should there be more comprehensive immigration reform? Yeah, absolutely. And I know the Catholic Church has worked since the George Bush administration, the first one, uh, in 1980, to say, hey, we need to get this, we need to not, you know, have everybody come across, but have this path to citizenship if they're going to be here. So, you know, a lot of that has gone on behind the scenes, but Obviously, it doesn't make good political theater, and and I know time is uh, is yeah. running out here. But uh, my description of the twenty four seven news cycle, especially cable news, and that's a misnomer because those are opinion channels; they don't do news. Yeah. Is that True. it? Really, is on both sides. You can watch if you yeah. watch Fox, if you watch MSNBC, yeah. if you watch CNN. It's the professional wrestling of broadcasting because a lot of that is scripted. And it's, and it's not, uh, you know, we use the term fake news. A lot of it's fake. A lot of it's scripted. And, and I know folks who have been on Fox, and they say, no, 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 we have to stop the tape because you didn't say what you were supposed to say. Yeah. And that's how it works. And, you know, once you understand that it's like professional wrestling and it's for profit, then you can put it in perspective. Uh, but I think going back to the story that I was telling about Roger Ailes and delivering this freeze-dried content that people would just lap up with the convenient conduit of a complicit media, we have forgotten how to be discerning. Uh, when, yeah. um, you know, and I've always said this on conservative talk radio, I said, you're smart. You are smart. Look what you have achieved in your life, wherever you are, and how hard you've worked today. And that's yes. a fact. Yes. You can figure this out for yourself. What we want to do is just empower you, just give you some facts. Let's talk about it. Let's talk it through, because you are in charge. And, uh, and no one's told them that. No one's told them that. And I think you hit on an on a incredibly important point there, that the consultants for the Democratic Party just don't get they don't i don't know what the heck it is i don't know how they can miss that people want to be respected they want to be appreciated they want to feel like they are part of the common good i don't know if we can get there john i don't know i don't know but i'm i'm very much worried here that uh, the idea of the common good is uh kind of gone by the wayside so it seems you do that you do that one person at a time and it's a lot of just very simple things just engaging them eye contact uh, doing yes. something very simple and laying those seeds it is that woman at the gate that you met when you were running for re-election it's one at a time it's interpersonal and that's that's what we crave for the most is attention and a connection to another human being that's how it starts it goes right back to our first point happens in our kitchens and it's democracy it's real democracy. Right. John Kaczynski, always a pleasure, an extreme pleasure talking to you. Your wisdom is uh, greatly appreciated. 
And uh, thank you so much for being with us on Keeping Democracy Alive. Boy, it is a heavy lift these days, isn't it? Thank you it so sure much. Is. Thank you, Bert. <laughs> All right. If you like that discussion, subscribe. Don't miss a single show. iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or at the website, keepingdemocracyalive.com.